Okay. Well, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And when you get there, tell me what the first word is. What is the first word? Chapter 5, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians. Somebody's there already, I know. I know the answer. But. but. Now, normally that word is uh, something that's a contrast, usually. But uh, today, we're going to do a lot of looking at words and what their meanings are, because these words in verses uh, 12 through actually 22, which we'll complete next week, uh, are very important because there's a long list of words that, that uh, of things that we, characteristics that we should be exhibiting. This is how we live. So uh, I just started with the first word because normally it means a, a contrast. We're going to move from one thing to a different thing. Uh, but that's not what this word means here. And as I delve into it, and you don't have to remember this, but just I, I, I did this study just to make sure I knew what I was talking about here. That's a primary, artic, uh, primary particle. Uh, in, in our English language, we usually use the word conjunction. Uh, but it's a primary particle. And it can either be adversative, which means a contrast or opposing to something, or it can be continuative. And that means an additional element or uh, a discussion or, or it continues the train of thought. And that's what it means here. We're going to continue the train of thought that Paul has been presenting to us so far in 1 Thessalonians. So uh, I think it's just uh, important for us to understand that we're not talking about anything different here. Paul is just continuing on with what he's already been teaching, and he's going to get more specific because we're going to look at these words that he expects us to, to uh, understand and to know. So... Uh, what have we learned so far? Well, we've learned a lot, but uh, just to, to, to not take too much of our time to recall uh, what we've been studying, but uh, Paul has been telling the Thessalonians about the certainty of their election, evidenced by their ministry and their reputation throughout all Macedonia. Uh, he's been talking about the importance of their sanctification or how they should walk in the Christian life in holiness and purity. And uh, he's taught us about the comfort of Christ's coming, the rapture, uh, the certainty of the day of judgment uh, coming, the day of the Lord. And uh, the starkness, as uh, we were studying last week, as Jordan was talking to us about uh, the starkness of light and dark in relation to how we live until the coming of the Lord. And... Uh, Jordan was talking to us about who we are, what we are, what we know, and here's a quote from him. I don't know if he remembers this or not, but he said, focus on these things, understanding the reality of what God has done. Focus on who we are and what we are and, and so forth and what we know, but focus on these things, understanding the reality of what God has done, destined us not for wrath, 
but for salvation. And uh, we should dwell on these things. And he used Philippians uh, 4.8 there. So today we see that this word but really continues the thought of where we've been so far. Here's how we do it. Here are the specifics. It's what Paul is going to teach us this week and next week as we go through uh, these lists of, of characteristics. But we also want to notice the, the emphasis that Paul makes on this. Uh, in verse 12, we see the word request. In verse 14, we see the word urge. And in verse 15, we see the words see that. In other words, do this. Make sure you do. And then in verse 16 and following, there's a whole long list of words that are imperatives. These are things that you must do. And so there is an uh, emphasis here that Paul is bringing to us. We haven't gotten to the outline yet, so don't worry, I'm not, <laughs> not off script yet. Um, but anyway, uh, this week we're going to take a look at harmony in the church. Church harmony and why that's important. And uh, Paul is going to deal with four categories of people, four different types of people in the church. The church leaders, the flock or the congregation, difficult people, and evil people. And he's going to give us some practical advice in these terms that we're going to look at on, on what a godly response is to these four groups of people in the church. And then next week, we're going to look at the Christian life. He's going to finish off his instructions with eight short, penetrating statements, which really strike at the heart of the Christian life. And each is a command that expects obedience. So, and then in the next couple of weeks after that, the weeks to come, prior to the church conference coming up in February, uh, Mill's going to uh, lead us in a, uh, looking at a prayer for complete sanctification and Paul's final request to the Thessalonians. So that will be uh, finishing, on, finishing off 1 Thessalonians and we'll go to 2 Thessalonians because Paul wrote two letters to them. All right. So the, speaking about the church, and you can see there on the outline, I, I put up there, church harmony, these verses 12 through 15. Uh, the church is, the, is one of the most blessed institutions because it's the only one built on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And uh, we see many, many verses there that in Scripture that, that talks about the importance of the church. And you, you might want to jot one or two of these down if you'd like. I didn't put them on here, but uh, Matthew 16, 18. And as we look at uh, a number of, of Scripture in Acts, Acts 4.11 and Acts 20, 28, and in Hebrews 3.6, we, we see the importance of the church and, and, and really Christ came here to establish his church, the New Testament church. And we've studied together in years past the whole book of Acts to see how that was done. But in 1 Timothy 3.15, Timothy, uh, the church 
that Paul described to Timothy, he described it as the pillar and support of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15, the pillar and support of the truth. Now that doesn't mean the church doesn't have difficulties, right? We all know we're, we're a part of the church and we all have difficulties and so that's why uh, this uh, whole subject of harmony in the church is so important. How do we live together as, uh, as Christians uh, in the church? Now, whatever was happening in the church of Thessalonica, we don't have Timothy's report that came back to Paul. All we have is First and Second Thessalonians that were written based on the reports that Paul was getting back uh, from the Thessalonians uh, through Timothy and perhaps others, but we know specifically Timothy. So Paul didn't point out any scandals. He didn't point out any specific errors that were in the church. We see that in other letters of Paul, uh, but not here. And, uh, but he did encourage the believers that were still in this process of sanctification. Uh, we saw him encouraging them to follow uh, the Lord and to excel more. We've seen that in several passages here, to excel more. They were doing well and, and should continue uh, to excel even more, uh, the reason why the Lord left us here to do that, to, to work through this process of sanctification. So here in the first couple of verses, uh, the church leaders are addressed, 5, 12, and 13, direct exhortations to the Thessalonians uh, here to per persevere and to grow in their Christian walk. So Paul here in verse 12, and, and let's, let's read that here while we're here so that we get an idea of what we're talking about, 12 and 13. But we request you, of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love uh, because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So church leaders are beginning to be uh, uh, brought into the Paul's teaching. Um, he doesn't actually use, if you'll notice, he doesn't actually use the word elder here. Uh, but he does, uh, as we will see, use words that would reflect what elders should do and how we should respond to them. But let's look at uh, what he says first. He requests us. He requests. That word is often translated urge. He urges us, and we'll see that in another verse here. It's a word that's very gracious. I urge you to do this, but it's also mandatory. Paul was not saying, here's a good idea, take it or leave it. He was saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm urging you, I'm, I'm, I'm graciously asking you to do this thing, and I expect you to, to do it. And so he's requesting us here to, uh, to do something. And who's he requesting? He's requesting of us, brethren. 
he's talking to the church here, the assembly that should respond uh, to their shepherds here. The basic idea is, in this word recognize, he's requesting us that you appreciate those, or sometimes translated recognize, recognize and appreciate would be uh, synonymous here. Uh, and it's literally to respect, or excuse me, not literally to respect. It can be translated respect, but literally it means to know. And so uh, when we look at that, that definition, literally to know, we realize that, that if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, same word, we know the Lord Jesus Christ, how, how is that? Is that just to see, see the, the name on a piece of paper in a book? Well, we know that name. At Christmas time, we know about Jesus coming. But no, this word to know is, is a personal experience. This is something that, yes, we recognize, we see, we see the word, but, but it's an experience that we have. We respond to that. We get to know that person whose name is Jesus. And he makes a difference in our life. So that's the whole idea here. Is it's not just to know that we have leaders in the church. Just to say, yeah, well, Milton Elder, so we know that. Okay, good. But no, what does that mean? That, no, that means that we personally uh, interact and get to know each other. Uh, as brethren in the church. So we're to appreciate or, or to uh, recognize or to respect those who diligently labor among you. So on my outline there, I said we're to, uh, re he's requesting us to appreciate those who, and the first characteristic is those who labor uh, among us. The word labor here is a pretty intense word. It's a, it's a labor that is of great effort and exertion. Great effort and exertion. The, um, some, some even say it's an exertion to the extent of sweating. Think of going out and working in the garden, and sometimes you just go out and clip the flowers. But no, what did you have to do to make those flowers bloom? You had to work. You had to plant them. You had to care for them. You had to, enjoy, to get to enjoy them. And so this word labor here is those that, that uh, invest great effort and exertion in the work that they are doing. Uh, notice who, well, and let's go back. Actually, let's, let's see if this is consistent teaching here. Go back to chapter 2, verse 9 in 1 Thessalonians. And Paul was saying there, he says, For you recall, brethren, he's talking to the Thessalonians, you recall, brethren, when he was there with them, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. 
So Paul has already defined for them by their experience with him. He, he exhibited these characteristics. And he's telling them now, in Thessalonica, writing back to them, appreciate those men who work uh, as I exhibited there and that they are expected to do. Who do we do that work among? Well, it says, among you. Appreciate those who diligently labor among you. So it's involved leadership. It's a leadership that's, that's uh, involved with what the leaders are involved with what, with the people that they're leading, but also it's a two-way street. The people that they are leading are involved with them. So this involvement is, is uh, uh, very interactive. And we go back to, uh, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and it says, um, I lost it here. <laughs> Verse 4 starts out, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So Paul is saying there, the, the gospel came, but it came uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, just as you know, what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So uh, Paul was exhibiting uh, those characteristics that he was teaching. And that is the idea here of the continuing leadership of the men in the church, that they are involved with the people of the church. And conversely, as we're urged to do, we're to be involved with those that are leading us. Yes. I was thinking about how easy it is to get really excited about the um, visiting pastors or the people that write the books or the people who have a great blog account. Uh huh. Blog accounts. <laughs> Both. <laughs> And I think of uh, uh, our pastor Vikram. I saw him this morning. I was getting getting these copies made, and he said, "What are you teaching?" He saw I was had my teaching notes, and he said, "What are you teaching?" I saw I told him First Thessalonians five, and I just expected the conversation to be over. And he said, "Well, what verses?" <laughs> <laughs> so I told him, and so I could see the wheels turning in his brain, and uh, he made a few comments about it, and I said, isn't it amazing how Paul is consistent in his teaching all through Scripture, and uh, Vikram's, uh, and, and I mentioned the fact that, that 
elders are not specifically mentioned here by that word, but the role of the elder and what they are to be doing and how we are to respond to the elders are certainly outlined here. And, uh, and Vikram just said, uh, you know, isn't it, isn't it amazing? And, and this could be the theme verse for, for, our, for our class this morning. He said, isn't it amazing that uh, we all have those characteristics. The only difference is the, the administration and the uh, 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 specific gifts, you know, that the organization, the, the organization of the church and the administration of the church are given to those elders, but we all should be having the uh, same characteristics and that's the whole point of what we're going to be talking about here. And Acts uh, 20, 18 says, uh, And when they had come to him, uh, these talking about the Ephesian elders coming over to talk to Paul, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. He was there among them. He, he exhibited those characteristics of involved leadership. And so did the Ephesian elders. And so did the congregations that were there. Uh, they were involved with Paul. So what is the, the next characteristic here? Uh, over you. So... It, the, um, the verse actually says we're to appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. And have charge over you in the Lord. Over you is literally, as I put here, standing before. Stand before. In other words, leading and directing. And that's what I'm doing. I'm leading and directing our thoughts uh, today. Uh, but I'm just a teacher. Our elders stand over us. Uh, they they uh, lead and, and direct us. And the verse that I used here was 1 Timothy 3, 4. And by the way, when I put it one verse down here, uh, doesn't mean that that's the only verse in the Bible that relates to this. There, there are many cross-references, and, and I don't put them down here. Uh, you can go back and look in your Bible or look in a concordance and find many cross-references to each, each one of these. And 1 Timothy 3.4 says, uh, in relation to the characteristics uh, of an elder, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And that is just a one point pointer to being able to lead and direct in relation to elders in the household, in their own household, but certainly, as the, the scripture uh, implies here, or, or actually doesn't imply, it actually tells us, that's the way they are to elder as well. That's a qualification they have to have. They have to be able to do that. And so uh, Paul is pointing that out here. Uh, here are these men that uh, are going to stand before you as a leader and director. And we are to what? If they, if when they are doing that, uh, that's that's their responsibility. But what is 
our responsibility? Well, you have to esteem them highly, yeah, and to, to appreciate or res to recognize that and to literally to know, to be involved in that process with them. Okay. That's right. These matters belong to the Lord. Yes, John. Uh huh. Every every man's idea is right in their own eyes. <laughs> yeah. And if we see something different, we can always appeal back to them sure. to help them, and, and then maybe we find out that we don't understand, what, you know, or maybe they don't understand. Works both ways. Uh, Acts twenty twenty eight, talking about the Ephesian elders again. Paul tells them, "Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit." has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. So there's where the authority comes from. God is the one who has put this in the process. Who are we to say, well, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, and then, uh, okay. It's kind of interesting here, uh, the... Uh, if, if you'll remember back to the, the church here now at Thessalonica, uh, the scripture tells us that uh, Paul was there teaching in the synagogue for uh, three Sabbaths. Now, it didn't limit him to three Sabbaths, so we don't know how much longer he was there because the scripture doesn't tell us, but we do know he was there for three Sabbaths. 
uh, and we suspect even longer because he, he had a chance to teach them quite a bit, as we're finding out in First Thessalonians. And uh, as he's written back to them now, he, he keeps reminding us that as I was there and I told you, you know, then he'll remind them again in his letter. So we see that he was there, and uh, it's a conjecture as to how long he was there. I kind of figure six months, maybe, I don't know. Could, could have been shorter or longer. But he was there enough to, to do some pretty heavy-duty teaching. And, uh, but it was still a young church. And the people in the church were all new converts. And so really, by what we know from Scripture now, uh, there, there weren't any people there that were qualified to be elders. So now what do you do? Paul gets kicked out. He's writing back to them. How's he going to set that up? Well, here's how he's setting it up. He's, he's admonishing them that there are leaders among you. And he probably left leaders among them. There were probably men who, who were soaking up what Paul had to teach. And they, they were going to be able to pass this on to the flock. So I think, and this is the Mike Alexander paraphrase of it, uh, I think Paul had a real purpose here. He was building elders. He hadn't appointed elders. He had leaders here, and he was talking to them. But more importantly, this church was being established, and it was growing, and the elders were going to come out of this church, out of this group that he was writing to. And so he was building them up and putting into into a process, this building up and then the appointing of elders. And so he's describing that process here. Uh, those leaders were to labor with great effort, and uh, we are to respond to that. We are to, to know, uh, be involved in that labor. And, uh, but God had put this into process. And so... The next thing is, and as Ron pointed out, uh, this was all initiated by God. Uh, the, next, the next thing here, oh, I turned over to 1 Timothy. Let me get back. Oh, that's 1 John. That's where Pastor Pennington is. Uh, have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. So here's part of the process, this instruction. And uh, literally, the word instruct you, or give you instruction, literally it's to set in mind. Some translations use the word admonish. So it's to set in mind. Uh, let's look at these verses. Back to Acts again. Verse 20, or chapter 20 of Acts. If somebody gets there before I do, if your fingers are, are uh, more adept than mine, go ahead and read that. Acts 20, 31. Go ahead. Okay, Paul admonished them or taught them night and day for a long time with great effort. And so that's what we're seeing that he's writing back to the Thessalonians here. 
admonished them or instructed them. He set into mind those things that the Holy Spirit wanted them to know. He set that in their minds by instructing them. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, which is the book that we're in, uh, also gives reference to that. And he's saying, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And so Paul was just putting into practice and, and setting up that process in the church, uh, those things that uh, he felt were important that God was giving him to give to them. Giving him to give to them. Yeah. Go ahead. They were pagans to begin with. Yeah. Right. And there's a great possibility that many of these people were slaves as well. So they really had no idea of leadership. They were just, they had come from a, from a history of slavery, basically. And so this, this was new to them. Uh, and Paul was not using his position to lord that over them, but he was gently urging them and instructing them. But this is the way it, you have to, to grow in the Lord because these are the words that God has given. This is the process that he has set up, this process of sanctification. So, um, so then he says, uh, just to, to make it even more clear, uh, and they have charge over us in the Lord and give us instruction, and then verse 13, he says, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Okay, so he's, he's kind of outlined for us the work that they're doing and our response, but he said, esteem them very highly in love because of what they're doing, because of their work. Esteem them is a reasoned obedience based on Scripture. That's the idea behind that word. It's a reasoned obedience. 
What is reasoned obedience? Well, we've taken a look at the word. We've allowed that to work in our heart. And our response is based on what the word has done in our heart. That's the esteeming them. We're responding in obedience to those teachings that they have given us that have done the work in our heart. It, it's, it's easy to follow the law, right? Well, for some, for most people. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we can codify things, codify things, and we can make a great effort, and in many cases successfully, to follow those things that are in the law. But that hasn't done anything in our heart. That hasn't changed our motivation. It has to be a work that God has done in the heart, and that's our motivation doing those things that we do. Many of the same things that we see in the law, yes, but that's not the motivation. Motivation is what the work that God has done in our heart. So it's a reasoned obedience based on Scripture. And so uh, what's the extent of our esteeming them, of our obedience? Well, it says to esteem them very highly. That's the extent of it. Uh, that, word ex- that word means an ab- abundant to the point of excessive. It sounds to me like in everything. <laughs> we, 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 uh, we esteem them, we, we involve ourselves in their lives, and we respond to them based on the scripture abundantly, excel still more which is what we've been studying, to the point of being excessive. It's, that's, that term, to the point of being excessive, doesn't sound very good to us because we, we know people that are excessive in the way they do things. And they just kind of stand out and it kind of comes across as pride maybe sometimes. Uh, but that's not the idea here. This just means the, the quantity of it very highly, abundantly. We just keep on esteeming them. We just keep on doing it. Uh, and then how are we to do that? What, what, is the, what is the quality of that esteem that we give? What is the quality of it? What is it made up of? Love. And so at this point, I could go for hours. <laughs> uh, but what I did was I gave you a, uh, on page three, I gave you a little write-up that Dick Mayhew did in his commentary on First Thessalonians on page three. True love. And uh, based on First Corinthians 13, we know the, the love chapter in which he ends with love never fails. Point number one, love suffers, suffers long. Therefore, our response to that and the way we should operate is, I will bear with a person's worst behavior without retaliation regardless of the circumstances. That's suffering long. So it, it, this is very applicational and I'll just leave it for you to take home this afternoon and look over and evaluate uh, your own selves and your responses to people around you and to the leaders based on our abundance to almost the point of being excessive in applying 
love in our relationships. So I thought that was, that was very insightful from uh, Mayhew's commentary. Okay. Sure. I don't know. I just copied that straight oh, out. Okay. <laughs> I am no more. I am no more important a man than others are. Oh, that's what I thought. They, yeah, I, yeah. I there yeah, there probably is. The editing on some of these books are, is not uh, complete. Okay, or commentaries. It, it becomes very obvious that it's not within us in ourselves to do this. It has to come from, from uh, the Lord within us. It doesn't even come from outside of us. It comes from within us in our relationship with the Lord. And then he uh, finishes up this little section here uh, at the end of verse 13. He says, live in peace with one another. Live in peace with one another. Peace... Literally, the word that's used here is, to, is uh, to be peaceful or to act peacefully. Let's look up Romans 12, 18. Just to get an idea of what in the world is he talking about. 12, 18. Uh-huh. Uh, starting with uh, verse 17, and we'll see this reflected also in what Paul was writing in 1 Thessalonians, but uh, Romans 12, uh, 17 starts out, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. And we'll see that in these verses in 1 Thessalonians. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. There's respect again. Uh, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And Pastor Tom has done a wonderful layout of, of that verse uh, for us in his recent sermons on, uh, on Romans. So Paul expects us, expects us to be at peace with all men. And we can't control what they do. But this, as it depends on us, our behavior is to be peaceful. And then Psalm 133, does anybody remember Psalm 133? It's only three verses long. I believe it's three. What does it say? Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Yeah, I'm right. It is only three verses. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And then it goes on to describe how, how precious that is. It's like the precious oil upon the head 
coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. So there's a picture there uh, that we just we won't take time to get into. Even Aaron's beard coming down from the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. So there's a picture there in the author's mind of what this uh, dwelling together in unity is like. It's very, it's very pleasant, uh, but it's pleasing to the Lord how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And I think that's, I'm sure, Paul had that and, and other ideas uh, about this peace, to act peacefully, to be acting in unity among the brethren along with our leaders in the context of what we're studying here. And then uh, be at peace with who? One another. I, I wonder who one another is. Who do, who do you think one another is? Could it be the Thessalonians? Yeah, well, he's writing to the Thessalonians, so that's one another. Could it be everybody? Well, I don't know. But Romans 4.19 says, no. Romans 4.19. Yeah, be at peace with all men. Yeah, with everyone. That's a, that's, that verse is not, uh, is it 14.19? Yeah, I believe you're right. I think that's a misprint there. I cut it off. Oh, yeah. That should be uh, under one another among yourselves, Romans 14.19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. My cut at that is we're talking about among the brethren, but it's not just for the purpose of being among the brethren, because who are we representing? Who, who, is, who are the brethren representing? They're representing Christ to an unbelieving world. And so I believe that uh, we have to exhibit these characteristics that Paul is teaching us here, not only to the brethren, but also extending that out to everyone. Uh, yes? I think about in a family, you always have the parts of the family that you get along with very easily, and then you have family members who are a little bit more difficult for you, and your personality is better. And that's really the body of Christ. It's a little bit peaceful and very But here's what's very easy for us to get along with people who are our personalities, but it's something that's not so easy for us to get along with other people. Uh huh. And so that's a little bit peaceful for everyone. And that's, that's where Christ wants to maintain us, but kind of works for the larger world. Because if we, if we behave one way with the brothers and we behave a different way, with everybody else. What's the word that defines that? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that we're not to be that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's let's go to verse 14. And we're going to have to 
maybe go a little bit more quickly through this than what I intended, but I think we need to, we need to see uh, what's going on here with these verses. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, there's one, encourage the faint-hearted, there's two, help the weak, there's three, be patient with everyone, there's four. And then it finishes up, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So again, uh, he urges us. This particular word is to come alongside, to provide help. He urges us to come alongside and uh, provide help to... The unruly is number one. The unruly are literally people that are out of step. Now, what are they out of step with? Not, not society, the Word of God. They're out of step with the Word of God. They're not believing and acting out the same things that they should be. Um, so, what do we do? We provide help for them, to them. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. We warn them. We put in mind. Literally, to admonish them is to put in mind. We're to remind them about the things that, and put into their mind those things that are true and right. Colossians 3.16 gives us some insight into that. Colossians 3.16 which says let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God so there's the whole idea of how we are to minister or to put into mind with each other uh, those things that will admonish us if we're out of step, if we're unruly. What's the second category here that we're urged to provide help to? The faint-hearted, literally small-souled. These, these are people that maybe huddle together in the middle while things are going on around them on the outside because they're a little fearful. Uh, they're small soul, and we're to encourage them, literally, to speak alongside. So we have to come alongside people that are small soul, faint-hearted, and speak to them. Speak alongside them. Teach with biblical certainty. Sometimes our our souls are small in adversity. Sometimes, and and what do we do? We come alongside a family that's grieving and we don't tell them that everything's going to be okay we're going to say God is in control God is good and God is always good even in the face of adversity and uh, many times these things are uh, teaching us and, and uh, sanctifying us but with biblical certainty based on the hope of Christ's coming, as uh, 
we've been seeing Paul has been doing all through this book of 1 Thessalonians so far. And then the third category is the weak. The weak are people that uh, are susceptible to sin. And uh, we're to help them, we're to uphold them, to hold firmly, to support them. Titus 1.9 is a beautiful illustration of this. Second Timothy and Titus 1.9 Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that we will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Okay, we have to have the word of God. We have to be encouraged in that. We have to be helped in that, supported in it, in the word of God. Hold fast the faithful word so that we will be able to exhort sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So you can see it's the role of the leaders to be instructing and teaching that, but it's the role of the rest of us to, uh, in conjunction with our leaders and elders and those that are teaching us, to put that into practice and to live with that in mind. And uh, so we admonish, encourage, and help. Who? Again, all and everyone. But be patient. What does it say? Admonish and, and, and help, but be patient with everyone. Wow. Long-suffering, Galatians 5.22, one of the fruit of the Spirit. We're to, to suffer long. That means that maybe we don't see any progress. <laughs> but we're long-suffering, and so we just continue to come alongside and to help and to teach and to support uh, for however long it takes. We're long-suffering. And so that, that characteristic comes out of, of, of a heart changed by God because naturally we're impatient. We put the truth out there. If they don't take it, you know, that's their fault. No, we're long-suffering. We continue to put into practice these things. Uh, Galatians 5.22. And then the last category here is uh, evil people. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. In other words, somebody has done evil to us, how do we act? Well, we do not repay. We do not give back what they have given us. That's our natural response, though, to do that. Galatians 5, again, verse 19, is to repay evil with evil. All those characteristics in Galatians 5, 19. That's the natural response from the natural man. Do not do that, he says. But what do we do? Seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So seek is to pursue. You know, I can see somebody walking out here up to church and I can see them, but if I pursue them, I go after them and stop, stop them and talk to them. So we're to pursue uh, what is good. We identify what's good and we act that way ourselves and we continue to teach that and come alongside and help people with what is good 
And uh, the verse there is our spiritual response, only comes from God, is Philippians uh, 4.8. which says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Pursue them. Make them a part of us. Don't just read it and let it go by. But let that word soak in and uh, produce a change in our lives. We're to seek after good. We're not to pay back the same thing that people gave us. Okay, so we did. We got through all those words. Those words are all important. So a healthy flock then, as we're talking about the flock here, the healthy flock is characterized by growth in faith and love and purity and progress toward the likeness of Christ. Sometimes we have the spiritually needy and problem sheep in the flock, and that's just a signal for us to come alongside and to help. The key is not finding some clever strategy to bypass troubles, but addressing the issues directly as shepherds and sheep alike admonish the wayward, encourage the worried, uphold the weak, bear with the wearisome, and render goodness to the wicked. That's everybody's responsibility. Paul is teaching us through the organization of leadership in the church, and leaders and elders certainly have to exhibit all these, and as we go into scripture and see the characteristics of elders in the church or the requirements for elders, these flesh those out. Fleshing that out, teaching us that, shows us that it's our responsibility as well. That is the way we're all to live, not just elders. So our response is to help in that process. So I just remember the words of Rocky Wyatt, and he was talking about uh, marriage counseling. And he said, you know, by the time that a, a, a broken marriage comes to me, uh, talking about Rocky Wyatt, uh, many times they're so deep into sin that it's difficult to deal with and to counsel them. He says the, the real counseling is when you all who know them and see these things happening in the first place come alongside them and teach them from the word. And Rocky was describing this process from First Thessalonians. So if we can nip sin in the bud, it's a lot better than when it's full-blown and we've got many issues to deal with. And that's what Paul is teaching us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, the insights into Scripture and these words that are important, uh, but they're important because we're to be living this out and only you can do that in our hearts as we desire to live as, as you uh, have instructed us here. And so I pray, Father, that uh, this will be true for all of us that in, uh, in our salvation and the sanctifying work that you do there that we continue in the sanctification uh, during this life. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.